Welcome to Call Sports. You have entered the zone called sports on another level. And now, here's your host, Cole Johnson. Call Sports! I am that man, your man, the illustrious Turk guy, Cole Johnson. And on this episode, we're going to talk about overtime galore in the NHL. Major League ba- Baseball wanting to tighten up rules, or at least make the game more exciting. The NBA getting heavy in the trade deadline. And the Pro Football Hall of Fame awarding their next crop of veterans and legends. And of course, we're going to go in on the subject. Have a prompt for the review moment that I really think you're going to cherish. And then we're going to, of course, have the adult of the week. But for right now, headlines, please. All right, so on Thursday, which would be the 7th of February, there were, so on Thursday, the 7th of February, there were 14 games. So on the 7th of February, there were 14 games that were played. Eight of them went into overtime. You had the Panthers beating the Penguins three to two. You had the Islanders beating the Jer- beating the Devils two to one. That was the first of two shootouts of those eight overtime games. You had the Capitals beating the Avalanche four to three. You had the Hurricanes beating the Sabres six to five. The Blues beating the Lightning one to nothing. The Predators beating the Stars three to two. The Blackhawks beating the Canucks four to three, and the Kings beating the Flyers three to two on the second of two shootouts of that night's. Slate of games. Normally, this is really a good thing, and I think this is a good thing for NHL. They need to have these types of nights to draw in the casual hockey fan. This just goes to show that the sport, it can be exciting. After all, the biggest name of the sport right now, Austin Matthews, received a big time extension with the Maple Leafs. So I think things are looking up, way up for the NHL. How up, you ask? Consider this. Dateline Detroit. Mike Tudorico, the former ESPN Monday Night Football announcer, now the current part-time Sunday Night Football announcer, and also main host of the Olympics, will be calling his first NHL. We now interrupt this regularly scheduled programming for this special report. This just into the Cold Sports News Desk. Kareem Hunt. Yes, the former chief is now a current Brown. You heard me correctly. Yes, he signed a one-year veteran minimum contract with the Browns. And, of course, investigation on his case is still pending because he is still on the physically able to, unable to perform list on the NFL's docket. Hunt said this in addressing his issues. Quote, first off, I would like to once again apologize for my actions last year. What I did was wrong and inexcusable. That is not the man I was raised to be. And I've learned a great deal from that experience and certainly should have been more truthful about it after the fact. I'm extremely grateful that John Dorsey, D and Jimmy Haslam and the Cleveland Browns organization are granting me the opportunity to earn their trust and represent the organization in the best way possible on and off the field. I am committed to following the necessary steps to learn to be a better and healthier person from this situation. 
I also understand the expectations that the Browns have clearly laid out that I have to earn my way back in the NFL, to the NFL. I am a work in progress as a person, but I'm committed to taking advantage of the support systems that I have in place to become the best and healthier version of myself. Close quote. Well, one of the people he is extremely grateful for, John Dorsey, is the general manager of the Browns. He also was part of the Chiefs in selecting him when Hunt was in the University of Toledo, getting him in college back in 2017. We'll have more on this situation as it develops. This has been a special report from Cole Sports. Now, back to our regularly scheduled programming, already in progress. Kevin Durant had this to say after the post-game press conference in their victory over the Heat. Quote, I got nothing to do with the Knicks. I don't know who traded Porzingis. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm just trying to play basketball. Y'all can't come in here every day, ask me about free agency, ask my teammates, my coaches. You rile up the fans about it. Let us play basketball. That's all I'm saying. And now that I don't want to talk to y'all, it's a problem with me. And now that I don't want to talk to y'all, it's a problem with me. Come on, man. Grow up. Grow up. I come here, go to work every day. I don't cause no problems. I play the right way. Or I try to play the right way. I try to be the best player I can be every possession. What's the problem? What am I doing to y'all? Close quote. That was uh, Durant going off. And that was Durant going off to the media uh, after a reporter asked him about free agency and if he is slated to go to New York after the offseason. We will know that later. For now, Durant is a warrior. Uh, He actually is, how can I say this, a disgruntled warrior, but not for the team, just with the media. Dateline, Kansas City. Number 15 on the jersey, number one in your hearts. (laughs) At least in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes is very skilled in other sports. His father was a baseball player, so he knows how to throw that thing. He also has a pretty good golf swing, as evidenced by a video that we saw last month with him hitting a ball off the tee. Well, that was a video of him playing basketball. And when the Chiefs got a hold of said video, the Chiefs GM, Brett Veach, had this to say about that. Quote, As soon as I saw the video of Mahomes, playing basketball, it probably took me about two seconds to call his agent and tell him that was a big no-no. The Chiefs Kingdom can rest assured that we have our... The the Chiefs Kingdom can rest assured that we have that under control. No more basketball for Pat. Close quote. And there are other sports that he can't play. Basketball is a no-no. 
Cycling's a no-no. Swimming is a no-no. Bungee jumping is a no-no. NASCAR driving is a no-no. Sleeping is a no-no. Dateline Major League Baseball. So, of course, the MLB is trying to make the game more exciting and more exhilarating for the fan to give the experience even a better understanding of where it's gone thus far. One of those rulings is the designated hitter rule in the National League. Now, the American League, of course, adopted it back in 1973 after, of course, being as the National League was, having the pitcher, having the pitcher be at bat. Well, of course, with the numbers showing that there's more offense in the American League than the National League, Major League Baseball is thinking about doing away with having pitchers bat altogether. And also in this ruling, they're also pondering that if a pitcher comes into play, that if he is into the game and he's throwing on the mound, that he has to face a minimum of three batters. Okay, now I can tell you this off the rip. You see, this doesn't fly because what I don't like is baseball getting away from its roots, which is strategy. The beauty of having the pitcher bat is that you have to, how can I say this? You have to skirt around the discrepancies of the pitcher when he has the bat in his hand. He may not be the best at at handling the bat, which is fine. That's cool. I have no problem with that. But that's the strategy that you have to deal with. You know, skirt it a little bit. And then when the starting pitching has pitched around six, seven innings, then you can have a pinch hitter and you can have him replace a, a, a fielder. And whenever the pitcher comes up to bat, you can replace him with a pinch hitter there and, and keep going and keep going and keep going. And you do that as strategy. And speaking of spitting in the face of strategy, the, the specialized pitcher, Normally, the left-hander that is meant to get out a left-hander in a lineup of either a whole ton of switch hitters or right-handers would be obsolete. It would be rendered obsolete. It would be ruled obsolete because you have these specialized pitchers on your roster for this reason. And managers stack their lineups to throw monkey wrenches at the pitching staff. So if if a, a pitcher has to deal with three batters at a minimum... That is a huge problem. In fact, facing a minimum of three batters is a maximum problem. That rule should be abolished quick, fast, and in a hurry. Will it? I highly doubt it. But it should go by the wayside of the trash. Dateline Dallas. Number four for the Cowboys. Dakota Prescott, or Dak Prescott, is in line for an extension. Mm-hmm. And the media is talking about it. But the Cowboys have other concerns as well. They want to lock up Demarcus Lawrence, the defensive end for the Cowboys. They also want to lock up cornerback Byron Jones. So there are other concerns. Plus, Amari Cooper also will be an unrestricted free agent along with Prescott after next year. So what does this mean for Mr. Prescott? Well, this is what he had to say to USA Today. Quote, I think the team knows how to pay what's deserved and pay those other people at the same time and what's deserved without being frugal. Close quote. You got to give it up to Dakota. He's twisting that arm of Gerald. That's Gerald Jones. Yes, I, I, I think that Prescott will be paid handsomely, but let Cowboys fan tell it 
if he has a bad game, he doesn't deserve that contract. And when he does have a good game, he deserves to have everybody's contract that's on the team. But that's Cowboys fan for you. Delusional as always. Dateline Sakakas. So the NBA's trade deadline came and went. And we'll talk about the one deal that overshadowed all the others later. But the most major deals took place in this fashion. The overall number one draft pick, Markel Fultz from last year, got dealt from the Sixers to the Magic. You had Nikola Meritich, who got dealt from the Pelicans to the Bucks. You got... Harrison Barnes, who was shown on TV that he was traded from the Mavericks to the Kings. All of those are good deals, especially for the Kings, because they're trying to get gather for a playoff push. And adding uh, Harrison Barnes on the roster, one that is already stacked, uh, DeAndre Fox uh, amongst them, shows that there is some promise there. The biggest trade that went down to me that I think ended up being the biggest winner on the docket was Jonas Velasquez. C.J. Miles, Deion Wright, and a 2024 draft pick in the second round was dealt from the Grizzlies to the Raptors in exchange for Mark Gasol. Now, Gasol, 34, no, not Powell. He gives you still 15 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists on the year. And there's only three players that, that has those stat lines. Anthony Davis, of course, being one. Giannis Antetokounmpo, that's another, who... If you're not following the NBA, Atatacompo is pretty much your MVP frontrunner for this year. But the Raptors look like they have an eye to the West because they want to match up with the Warriors come June in the NBA Finals. They have their point guard in Lowry. They have their wing player in Kawhi Leonard. Now they have their big man in the post with Gasol. Part of me hopes the Raptors meet up with the Warriors in the Finals this year. Because that would look like an intriguing matchup to come. When I come back, of course, we're going to award the Dolt of the Week. We're going to have a special player in a palm for the review. But immediately following the break, who is joining the Hall of Famers in Canton? Radio Haver, every Wednesday, 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central. Welcome back, Cole Johnson, Cole Sports. It's an exciting time for 
a few people affiliated with the NFL. Now, sometimes lost, other times not so lost, in the hoopla of the week leading up to the Super Bowl game itself. The award show, the uh, NFL honors, they have this big grand show, but really the star of the show each year is the announcement of the Hall of Famers who will be inducted six months from now. And the class is pretty stout. Uh, I believe the committee did a really good job in picking the ones who are going to stand in front of Canton and thank the fans of football and their family and those who influenced them to be in football. And I'm happy in this instance to go in! So amongst them that have gone into the Hall of Fame, or I should say will be inducted into the Hall of Fame in August, would be former Chiefs wide receiver and former Falcons wide, oh sorry, would be former Chiefs tight end and also former Falcons tight end, Tony Gonzalez, former Ravens safety, Ed Reed, former Washington NFL franchise and Broncos cornerback, Champ Bailey, former Jets and Titans center, Kevin Mawai, and former... Patriots and Jets cornerback Ty Law. There's others as well. But let me start with Gonzalez because to me, I think he is one of the greatest tight ends to ever play. Now, he was elected to the Pro Bowl six times, made 14 Pro Bowls. And the stat line is as follows. He has 1,325 catches for 15,127 yards, 11 touchdowns. Now, let me put this in perspective for Gonzalez comes into the sport at a time when the tight end was utilized a little more as a wide receiver. Shannon Sharp being the prototype of that understanding. The NFL was coming around to using the tight end similarly as a wide receiver. Because before then it was the tight end has to block. The tight end is the safety valve. And he can he can have a decent day, maybe two decent days in a year. But more often than not, he is the sixth offensive lineman for running, run for the running game. And he could probably get you 40, 50 yards and get you maybe two or three first downs when your quarterback is in need of a, a target. Well, Gonzalez broke that mold. Sharp can, Sharp came close to breaking it. Gonzalez completely obliterated it. And with the stats that I just read off to you, those are wide receiver type stats for a career. And now he has given way to one. Rob Gronkowski and also a Jimmy Graham, where you now have tight ends who can think of themselves as wide receivers because they play a similar role such as a wide receiver. Well, they have Mr. Gonzalez to thank for that because he ushered the way for how we see tight ends today. And yes, he still has to block. And yes, he still has to be that safety valve for quarterbacks, but he also can stretch the field. Then you have Mr. Ed Reed. Now, he also played with the Texans as well. But how can I explain Ed? Well, firstly, five-time Pro Bowler. Uh, I'm sorry, nine-time Pro Bowler. He made all pro five times. Uh, he was the defensive player of the year in 2004. And, of course, he won the Super Bowl in 2012 with the Ravens. Yes, the same one that in New Orleans, the lights turned out for about 45 minutes after Beyonce performed at halftime. Now, people will remember him as having 64 career interceptions and 13 touchdowns. 
But here's what I remember about Reed. He was a hybrid that you just didn't see coming. In this this compact package, he hit you as hard as a Jack Tatum. He covered you as well as a Charles Woodson or Rod Woodson. He, of course, had hands, obviously. And he had the mentality of running back the ball, almost like a running back or like a Sean Taylor, late Sean Taylor. And he also didn't just affect defenses. He also was on the special teams. He was a great punt returner, and he also blocked punts. This guy was a football player, and when you hear him or hear people talk about him, I guarantee you that is what they'll say about Reed. One of the best safeties, if not the best safety I've ever laid eyes on. Great talent. Another great talent, Chant Bailey. Tall guy, normally not what you would say in a cornerback. And he gave wide receivers who were normally taller than corners fits. They played the Washington NFL franchise uh, for his first five years, but he mostly played for the Broncos from 2004 and beyond to around 2013. Unfortunately, he missed a chance to get a ring because he retired two years before the Broncos got their last one. 12 Pro Bowls he played on. He was all pro three times. And on top of it, he got 52 picks. One of the things that people don't talk about with Bailey is that he was probably the most recent example, probably along with the Divas, uh, probably along with the, the Jets and Patriots cornerback Darrell Rivas of that shutdown corner. Or And what I mean by shutdown corner, he was a guy that if he covered one half of the field, quarterbacks really did not go to it, that they would avoid going to him and they'll go elsewhere. Well, Bailey was the last of that. And now we're seeing teams roll toward having more cover two disguise coverages, dime packages and nickel packages. We're not seeing the man to man. I'm not seeing man to man defense as much. Not saying we don't see it at all. We don't see it as much. It's because we're not seeing these types of, of corners that are coming into the game like a champ Bailey. Ty Law, 10 years with the Patriots starting in 1995, played with the Jets in 2005 and 2008. Not 2005 through, <laughs> 2005 and 2008. He also played for the Chiefs 2006, 2007, the Broncos 2009. Law is a little bit of a special case. You know, for me, I won't say that he was a bad player. He was actually a pretty good player. Five-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, won three rings with the Patriots, gathered 53 picks. What makes him, to me, a, 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 a rare and special case is he is talented. He does deserve the the mentioned to be in the hall, but I have to think that this is more along the lines of a legacy pick for the hall because he was a member of three of those Patriots championship teams, the current run that now has six. And I think we'll see more. The Teddy Bruskies, the Willie McGinnists. Uh, we might even possibly see Mike Vrabel, but that may be down the line a decade or two. But the possibility exists that we may see those guys in the hall as well simply because they rub shoulders with one Tom Brady and one Bill Belichick who both of them will be in the Hall of Fame no questions asked about that then there is the offensive lineman he I think also played guard as well as center Kevin Mawai now I forgot he played the Seahawks as well uh, from 1994 to 1997 the Jets from 1998 to 2005 and the Titans from the 2006 to 2009 season now normally with with offensive linemen and he was an eight-time pro bowler and a three-time all pro is they don't really have the sexy sexy stats they don't you know they don't wow you with receptions and a wow you with picks and a wow you with tackles 
you know, pancakes is what offensive linemen specialize in. But if you notice, three teams had him on their squads and he played and he played more than 10 seasons. That normally is a telltale sign that this guy knew what he was doing in the trenches. And he, Mawai, was a gentle giant, so to speak. When you interviewed him, he was all class all the time. But when he was on the field, he was a warrior. You just simply, you, you, you simply had your, your work cut off for you if you were a defensive lineman. That's what you wanted in an offensive lineman. And Mawai was a steady presence. And as I said to uh, a few of my, my closest, al, uh, uh, and as, as, uh, and as I said to my closest, uh, analyst friends of mine, on an offensive line, you need to have a center who can calm a team down when necessary. Because quarterback has to deal with a lot of things. You got to have your center be the glue of the line. That's my why for you. Pat Bolin. Now, for the casual fan, you're probably saying, who? What? Him? What did that come again? <laughs> well, Bolin is the longtime, still is, the longtime owner of the Denver Broncos. And, and the team has gone to the Super Bowl seven times. And has won it three, if I'm not mistaken, under his tutelage. The beauty about Bolin is he has made it okay for the Broncos to be the team that is steadied in different arenas of the field. Uh, the thing with owners is you got to have one that has the eye on the budget, but also has the eye on talent too, and can balance the two. That's normally what the role of the owner in football is supposed to do. And Bolin's one of the best to do it. Also, key contributor of the Dallas Cowboys, former vice president, uh, Gil Brandt. Now, during his tenure, the Cowboys won two rings. And so what can I say about Gil? Uh, you have to understand when the Cowboys were going in, going into their tailspin in the eighties, worse than the one that they're enduring now, because they've had moments of success. But at the tail end of the Landry years, you were having those issues where the team just was spiraling out of control. Well, he was a stabilizing force to get them back to prominence. And then, of course, when Jerry took over, that's when things happened. But uh, it's always good to see the NFL go back in time to reflect on who made an impact on the team and in different ways on the field and off. And also for the Kansas City Chiefs, Johnny Robinson. Now, there is a special category that the NFL has for the Hall of Fame. It's called the senior category. It's one where when you look at the the roster of people and, and players that have played, the committee asks themselves, what player deserves to get recognition but didn't? Now, I'm going to talk about someone in Major League Baseball that would fit this category, but that is what uh, he did. He was a defensive back for the Kansas City Chiefs during the 1960s. All I got to say is congratulations to these guys. It's going to be fun in six months when we see all of them get inducted in front of their friends, in front of family, in front of fans. It's going to be really good. And it normally is a great time because it, it makes us think back to when we saw these players on the field play and these guys get, I guess you could say, their last big celebration as a football player as they transition further into retirement. It sort of is a, you're giving them their roses while they can smell them moment. And I'm glad that the NFL can provide that for them.
just simply can't get out of its own way. Dolt of the Week time is next. You've tuned into the classiest sports show on the planet. Cool Sports! From the vault, a look back at a key moment in sports history. February 9th, 1992. Orlando was the place. The NBA All-Star Game was the event, but the star was one Magic Johnson. Now, you would probably say, well, wasn't Magic back then the star of everything NBA? True. However, this was special. How special would you ask? Well, three months prior, only three months prior, he announced that he was HIV positive and stepped away from the game. Now, mind you, people did not know the scare of HIV positive or AIDS individuals. So there were some who had a hands-off approach just in dealing with a person. Same thing happened with magic. But on this day, all of that disappeared. He went on to score 25 points. He had nine assists as well. But the most important thing is that he altered so many different perceptions of people. Magic Johnson created magic in the most fantastic way in the All-Star Game of 1992 on this date. From the Vault, brought to you by Cole Sports. Johnson here. Cut the music now. Don't of the week. Don't of the week is sponsored by nobody, but we're still going to give it to you straight with no chaser. The winner of this episode's Dolt of the week is. The centerpiece of the From the Vault piece, Magic Johnson. Now, you're saying I'm pretty cruel. 
I just gave the man his props in a history. Um, I just gave the man his props and from the vault. Why is he the adult of the week? Well, as great of a player as Magic was and is, he sometimes gaffs hard as the vice president of basketball operations. And why do I say that? <laughs> okay. So, of course, as you know, the Lakers are trying to restore the glory to their franchise. Mind you, after they got swept out the playoffs in 2011 from the Mavs, the team has basically been on a downward spiral. An unceremonious first-round exit to the Spurs. And in 2012, it just pretty much has been, all right, here's the countdown to when Kobe Bryant is no longer a Laker and he's going to retire. And so that, of course, took place and happened in 2016 after the team finally bottomed out and won 17 games. And, of course, the roar was supposed to be restored with the draft picks of Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Kyle Kuzma. But a funny thing happened along the way. They discovered mm, they need to have a splash, at least some veteran leadership, because it's all young. And <laughs> speaking of young, it was punctuated by another draft choice. D'Angelo Russell, filming a conversation that he had with Nick Young, who both, of course, are no longer on the team, when, in fact, Young confessed on camera to Russell that he was cheating on rapper Iggy Azalea. <laughs> of course, that led to chemistry issues. Another draft pick they had in Julius Randle, who I always thought was the best fit on the team, also has been dealt away, too. Now he's the sixth man of the, the Pelicans. This cauldron needed to have a force. Enter, I mean, this cauldron needed to have a stabilizing force. Enter Magic Johnson to be the head person in the front office and LeBron James to be the head person on the court. Their problems were solved. Their issues were done. We could draw the stars that we couldn't draw with these youngins because uh, chiefly amongst that was a visit by... LaMarcus Aldridge, when he was with the Blazers and he was a free agent at the time, he was looking to be on a team. Now he's with the Spurs. He famously said that the team was not about analytics and it was antiquated because it just kept focusing on, hey, L.A. is a wonderful place. We have 16 rings. We have glory here. We don't give a crap what the other teams can offer. We offer championships and the best city in the world. And the organization had to get the smelling sauce and wake up to the reality of, well, we just can't sell them on the city by itself. We got to sell them on the talent that's on the court. And we have to, we have to give a, an account as to we know what we're doing in the front office. Well, that is what is happening now. The Lakers thought they were in a great position and Magic himself thought it was a, in a wonderful position when the, I guess you could say New Year's Day celebration type of news hit. The NBA speculation market. The Pelicans' Anthony Davis publicly said that he was disgruntled and wanted a trade. And it was leaked out that he wanted to be a member of the Lakers. So you're saying, well, wait a minute. This all sounds good. They, The Lakers are getting back on track. They got LeBron James. They can probably lure other big-time superstars, which they can and they will. What makes this so different? Well, it makes it different because... 
in trying to get Davis in a trade. I'm going to try not to say it, but I figure it's going to come out anyway. In, in trying to lure Davis from the Pelicans to the Lakers, it was leaked that Magic put forth Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, another another player, and two first-round draft picks. Now, they threw another deal beforehand, but this was the, the better deal. The Pelicans, after not answering any phone calls, then entertaining it and picking up the phone calls saying, okay, what did these teams offer and what can they offer? Let's see how thirsty they are. And the Lakers proved to be mighty thirsty. How thirsty, would you say? Well, to be the trade attempt in getting Anthony Davis made the purple and gold an organization that acted like a hoe. You do not prostitute your whole team just to get a player. That is the penultimate problem I have with this. I mean, it got to the point where once the deal of having basically half the team go to the Pelicans for and two draft picks for Davis was leaked, the Lakers went to Indianapolis, paid the, played the Pacers, and got spanked by 42 points. The spanking really was not the story. The story was when you had players like Brandon Ingram step to the line and JaVale McGee too. The crowd chanted, LeBron is going to trade you. Oh, but I'm sorry. In McGee's case, they chanted, you're not worth it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <sighs> ah. And, and people who were wanting the Lakers to have Davis, they said, well, this was a great deal that the Pelicans had. Why did the Pelicans pass up? They're being petty. No, they're not being petty. They're being right. What do you mean? Talking about Davis, what do you mean you want to be out? You want to trade? You're requesting a trade? Man, please. You got one more year left on your contract. This offseason is not a free agent year for you. You're not in the contract year. You won't be a free agent until 2020. What is you talking about? What is you meaning? And he came very close to being the dolt of the week, but the thirsty nature, the thirsty horish nature of the Lakers, and in part Magic Johnson, was exactly what would is exactly what was needed to overshadow Davis. And even his father saying, uh, "I don't want his, I don't want my son to play for the Celtics." And leaking that out to the public. Good job, Anthony Davis Sr. I love the fact that uh, you are hurting your son's chances to play on one last team. Although what you what you said about how they did Isaiah Thomas is correct. Bad timing, Sr. Bad timing. But I digress. The purple and gold look desperate. That's not what it's supposed to be. And in seemingly, the organization doesn't really understand how desperate it looks. Take the... Straw which stirs the Lakers drink on the court. LeBron James. Quote, I know it has to be tough, especially on our young guys. They've never been a part of that. And it is happening every single day. Close quote. A part of that means a part of trade speculation and the pressure of knowing that you might not be good enough for this team. And because of it, you'll become a trade, uh, a trade bargaining chip for another. The thing is, we have seen this act with two other teams three other times in your career, LeBron. That's how you were from 2007 on to 2010 with the Cavs. That's how you were pretty much all of your Heat's career. And that's how you were all of your second stint with the Cavs. 
So what makes this any different? Really, there isn't, except it's just as a third different team. But the thing is, it doesn't have to be that way, LeBron. Yes, challenge your team to win. Yes, challenge your team to be better. But challenge the team that you have to be better. Don't have your eye out on the market of the other 29 teams and you ask, probably openly, I may add, what person can fit on this squad? No! You aren't supposed to do that. And it seems like Magic is caught to doing it too because, well, you gotta have the stars on Hollywood. Well, Magic, you should take a page out of your own book. The greatest star, I'll even say the greatest two stars the Lakers have ever had in their franchise's history. Both were lifetime Lakers. Now, Kobe was traded, but during draft day, you were drafted by Dr. Buss from Michigan State. They knew your talent. 40 years ago, they knew your talent. Trust the draft process. And you'll get your free agent. Free agent. You don't have to trade your assets away. Load your team up with free agency and draft picks. And if you get a trade, don't bargain half the team away. Because it's only going to create salt in the wound that is opening right before your very eyes. When I come back, a giant goes on into the afterlife. Upon further review, is next. Perfect. star game coming up in the NBA and all the festivities that's going to follow and of course we're going to go in have adult of the week and go and upon further review on a very popular or very important subject and go in upon further review an important subject and very soon the VIP honors will grace your ears. That's coming soon. And that's also for later. For now, we're going to talk about a legend. One that I can actually say was a living legend. And it's an honor and privilege to talk about this guy. One in which typifies what baseball was really all about. We will talk about this wonderful statuesque gentleman in upon further review. (laughs) 
five-time All-Star, National League and American League MVP, two-time World Series champion, oh, triple crown winner in 1966. Talking about number 20 of the Reds and the Orioles, baseball player, manager, baseball executive, Frank Robinson. Now, many talk about Jackie Robinson before him and players like Reggie Jackson after him. But very few talk about Frank Robinson being a player that influenced the way the game is played now. Now, along with all of that, he hit 586 homers and he also managed three different teams. Also was manager of the year one year. So when we talk about him, we're talking about really baseball royalty. This is as royal and as regal as it gets in sports, especially in Major League Baseball. Now, let's break down some of why he is royalty. Now, he, he won Rookie of the Year as well in 1956, hitting a rookie record 38 dingers or homers. Now, I mentioned the Triple Crown. Now, for those who don't understand what that means, when a person wins a Triple Crown in baseball, that means you have to have the highest batting average, drive in the most runs, they call call it runs batted in or RBI, and you have to have the most homers. So you got to be number one in all three categories. And if you are, the Triple Crown is yours. And very few win that award. In fact, actor Collier Skrimsky won it in 19, well, won the Triple Crown uh, and the MVP, if I'm not mistaken, in 1967. We didn't see that feat until Miguel Cabrera, uh, yes, the, the guy who is going to pay through the nose, his mistress, achieved the feat, was 2016. So... It's it's difficult, and it's not a feat that is considered, ah, anybody can do it. It's a very hard trick to turn. So he won the MVP in the National League with the Reds in 1961. And, of course, in that same year that he won the Triple Crown, he also won the MVP, 1966, with the Orioles. He also led his team to a 1966 World Series, and then he got a chance to play his team, his former team, the Reds, in 1970, beat them, and was the... World Series MVP in 1970. Now he played 21 years in Major League Baseball. And I remember seeing a, remember seeing footage that it was teased that he was going to be, I guess, shuffled off into management. And he wasn't really feeling it then, probably because he felt as though he had more years on the field. And he did, because that was, you know, World Series 1971. Yeah, so he felt he had more years. He played five more. This guy had it all. He could hit. He had some speed to him. He had power to him. He was the rare five-tool player that you saw for endless amounts of years. His talents were just that great. And so after he retired, he did eventually go on into management. In fact, he was a first. The first African-American Major League Baseball manager. The first team he signed on with were the Indians. And then he managed the Giants later on. And that's when I remember him seeing him for the first time. He was the Giants manager. And he became the first National League African-American manager of a team. And he later managed uh, other teams. The Expos. Or now the Washington Nationals. The Washington Nationals. And the Orioles. Where he won the 1989 American League Manager of the Year. Now I think what disturbed him a little was when he was managing the Nationals in 2005, there was a player that came to him and asked, did you play in the majors? And I, I won't say it hurt him, but I think it disgusted him a little because it, it, it made him understand how little history we all knew as just fans of, of the sport 
that we are. And this came from a player. Now, players normally, normally are supposed to be reared up in, in history. They normally are supposed to know the lineage of whatever, whatever craft that they undergo. So to hear that out of a player, then I guess that would shake anybody. Did really shake up Frank, but it did make him say, okay, I got to pay more homage or help people pay more homage to the history of the sport. Now, he was more than just a baseball player, being the youngest of 10 in Oakland. He also was a high school basketball player. He had a famous teammate, his name, Hall of Famer Bill Russell. And he also in high school was a teammate of Kurt Flood. For those of you who don't know, he was a center fielder, chiefly with the Cardinals. And he was the one to usher in free agency, but he did not become a free agent because the rules simply then did not allow for free agency to happen. Teams traded, I mean, players went from one team to another before, I forget the year, but but te- but players went from one team to another primarily with trades. Well, in Baltimore, Robinson also became a civil rights activist. And being the gentle giant that he was, he wanted to influence change in a, in a quiet way. And in seeing the segregated housing and the dis- discriminatory real estate practices happening, he went about to try to change that. He even has a Presidential Medal of Honor award. Uh, George W. Bush uh, awarded that to him in 2005. So this man's reach was extensive, far beyond the diamond and all in the diamond. And he also worked as an executive baseball. In fact, he was senior advisor to the current commissioner, Rob Manfred. And he spent most of the 12 years in the major league front office as the vice president of the office. What I take away what I take away from this, what I take away from all of this is people just don't the brilliance of this man. They don't know the the impact that he had. And he had an impact on me and I didn't follow him. I just knew about him as I just knew about him as a manager. And my father telling me, well, yeah, he, he's a manager now, but he whoo, he was a great ball player. Man, you would have loved seeing him, son. <laughs> he knew how to play ball. That's what I Unfortunately, didn't get a chance to see because by the time he retired, I was an infant. So I didn't really get a chance to see him play. Now I've seen clips and yeah, he, he wielded a, he wielded a bad bat. Woo. Right handed hitter. He was, he was, a, he was as careful of a bat, of a baseball player as he was a manager. And he took care of being a player just like he did with his, uh, his, his team as a manager. And Frank Robinson is a regal presence. He didn't talk about his achievements. He let them all speak for themselves. Frank Robinson, Major League Baseball player, former Red, former Oriole, former manager of both the American and National League, former commissioner's vice president of the Major League Baseball office, dead at the age of 83. If you happen to like what you've heard on this episode or any episode that you've heard thus far, if you happen to like this episode or any episode you've heard thus far, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to Coldsports with a Z dot com. If you want to reach me through email, if you want to reach me on social media, if you want to say it with your chest, all you have to do is come to Coldsports with a Z dot com and I'll take care of you. 
You want to listen to past episodes. You want to listen to even this present one again. Cold Sports with a Z.com is where you come. And if you want merchandise, we got that for you too. A free book. Five greatest quarterbacks of all time. All of that is at ColdSportsWithAZ.com. That's ColdSportsWithAZ.com. And I'm a simple man. Outside of that one ask, I only ask for three simple things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend about this particular program and enjoy the content. For the Intelligent Sportsman, I am Cole Johnson. And this is... You've been listening to Cole Sports with Cole Johnson.